design is just problem solving. Growing up in the Soviet Union, it's not meant to be easy or fun. And you don't know that it's not easy or fun because everyone else is experiencing the same thing that you are. So you don't have perspective. So when the wall came down, we got an opportunity to leave. When we left, that's when the real perspective started happening. And we moved to New York. The experience as a kid to go from this kind of Soviet and European setting to New York in the 90s, like taking someone out of the Stone Age and bringing them into today, that really set me on a mission to be curious about everything. The natural process of creation is very discouraging because you hit a wall. If you're creating a new way of thinking, you are going to hit a wall. And when you're climbing up that wall and every cell in your body is telling you, stop, get off. You need someone that has suffered enough times to know that, yeah, it's a short-term sacrifice and it's painful and it's miserable and you want to give up. And some people that don't give up, they get that long-term benefit of accomplishing and solving that problem. And to me, that's what design is. It's not creating a product, it's the process that you go through. It's not the final thing, it's how you got to the final thing, it's the journey. It's all the crap that comes with it, because that's the real beauty, is navigating that to create a better ride, a better race, a better commute. My name is Alex Baldwin. I'm head of design at Rafa. Check one, two. Cool. Can you guys hear me all right? Um, first of all, I want to thank the super talented staff at Rafa for helping me accomplish uh, the things that we set out to do, and Simon Matram for founding such a progressive brand. Uh, and most importantly, just want to thank Michelle and Sam for organizing such an amazing event, an event that's truly ours, uh, the first design outdoor conference that I know of. So I just want to give you guys a big round of applause. Um, there's one thing that I've always been puzzled by, and that is the difference between good designers and great designers. Because good designers create great products, but great designers create great experiences. And that notion of an impactful experience, to me, is something that I personally want to strive for in my career. So I want to set a few examples and talk about a few people that do great experiences as well. Um, I feel very fortunate to be collaborating with this man, Norman Foster. And Norman has constantly created impactful experiences with a mission to achieve social utopia. And one example is, is that in the 1960s, late 60s, office buildings looked like this. Plated glass, some separators between floors, cubicles, offices, workers and managers were separated. That wasn't necessarily social utopia. He sought to create a new experience for society through architecture by focusing on creating this new form of utopia in his mind. And like an artist, he commented on how society should operate. Early in his career, workers in London had separate entrances to managers. So a very blue collar job like being a dog work, dock worker was quite primary in that fact that workers walked in one way and managers walked in the other way. 
this, this is exactly what was wrong with England at the time, the class system. So he sought through design to influence and create impact that would help bridge the gap and deter the class systems. So he made one entrance for workers and managers. He created amenities where workers and managers would coexist. And this ultimately really created a new experience for how people perceived work and had a true impact on society and the efficiency of these businesses. In 1970, for Willis Faber, he wanted to take on a bigger, impactful project. So this wasn't just about designing a high-tech office space. This was about creating a new lifestyle for the inhabitants of the office by focusing on really creating a glamorous lifestyle for its inhabitants. And this is a quite unique challenge if you think about what the work environment was like in the 70s. I mean, I don't know, I wasn't born, but I've been told that, that it was very much hierarchical. Um, I appreciate the laughs. <laughs> but he wanted to create that workspace to feel like a true lifestyle because he put a pool in, he put an atrium, he got rid of cubicles, he got rid of offices, and he really blended people together to really focus on that social utopia. So that's not, in my mind, about design. That's about how do you create an experience that design can provide. And that is the difference between the product and the philosophical. And so, with that said, he went on to bigger challenges. So you saw that for the dock workers, he created an open space environment within a single story office. For Willis Faber, an open space environment for the multi-story office but he wanted to do the same for skyscrapers. So he went back to the first principles of design, which is what is the problem that I'm trying to solve? How do you create social utopia? How do you design social utopia within a space that is 50 stories tall? So he went back to the principles of how you build a building and he put the structure of the building on the outside to allow freedom of space and movement. And the bit that's always interesting is through these processes, people don't set out to create a landmark, but when they achieve a progression in human civilization, a progression in ideas and mind space, it becomes a landmark. And by many people, this is regarded as one of the most influential buildings in the world still. And so he imagines a world that's inspired by the work environment, because that's what we do most of the time. He reimagined new experiences that would inspire and motivate those that inhabit his spaces. He created a social utopia that would go on to really benefit the ideas that get transformed within those spaces. And through that design, he's promoted advancement and high performance technology and allowing us to go faster or allowing us to think better, to think about philosophies. And he's constantly been a key inspiration for the kind of work that I want to do. Another example of design that had an impactful experience is the iPhone. It's not the design that changed the world, it changed the way we experience the world. We live in a much more convenient world than we did 10 years ago. That impacted society and gave us new experiences that save us time, create more face time with the ones that we love, and also create more comfort in our lives. And what I want to talk about today is something that's really obvious, is that neither of those two examples had anything to do with design lines or materials. It had everything to do with how people experience the design, which is the most important aspect of design to me. And that's the intangible, that's the chemistry of design, that's the experience.
and its ability to influence society in a way that makes us feel like it's magic. And what I'm going to talk about today is how to create that impact that leads to that magic. And so you saw with Norman and Steve that they took their creative passions and their previous experiences and built on top of them. And what I want to share with you today is my experience and what I've built on top of. So I grew up in San Francisco. Uh, a lot of you may know it, a lot of you may not, but when I grew up there, it was a rebellious, nonconformist, eco, progressive, modernist, hippie town. It wasn't what it is today. And it had such an impact on me, and it's totally informed all my ideas. And my best memories of San Francisco are from skating. And the reason why is because I had a huge passion for skating. Unknowingly, it combined all the principles of creating impactful experiences, which are passion, compassion, community, tribalism, and innovation. And that impact on me truly transformed me to be a better person. That's mine. <laughs> um, because, here's the thing, impactful experiences that truly motivate. And if you could do it right, it sets an ambition in someone that helps people achieve their own personal possibilities. And that is so vital to me as a designer. Uh, but I can only accomplish being a great designer by creating these impactful experiences. But in order to do that, I must have a vision for the brand strategy. I must have a vision for art direction. I must have a vision for how the media and the content gets created and what it signifies. And I must be a great designer. And so with that said, I want to get into what I believe are the five principles that are on my mind when creating experience concepts. So number one, share your passion. Uh, put passion on display. It's contagious and infectious. Celebrate the things that you love well and the things that motivate you. Because when you obsess over it and master it, it starts having a magnetic force that attracts people to you. If your brand is already selling and you already have your product out there, you have the responsibility to engage with the customers that bought your product on a weekly basis. Inspire them to use it and really test it and connect with other users of it. Because if we don't do that, we're just selling stuff. And so an example of that, about putting your passion on display, is this video here. So we had a concept called Pack Light, Travel Far. 
And we were quite passionate about being able to ride your bike with the most minimal equipment that you can possibly carry. And the reason why is because it tests your own personal endurance, the possibilities, and what you could do as a human, what you could push your body to do, what you could push your mental state to do. And it's very difficult to communicate in a sea that's cluttered with media and messages. You have that 140 characters, you have that 15 second video. So you have to condense a lot of what you believe and love into a minimal slot. And so sharing your passion is super important, but the more impact that you could do it with, the better. And we feel, I feel that when you have a community that recognizes others within your media, that's the best way to help transform people and get them to understand your passion. But with that said, if you're here and you're thinking about starting a brand and you wanna focus on where to put your passion, the main thing is really thinking about what are the building blocks for passion. So I believe that as a creative, if you don't satisfy these four main tenets, you're not gonna create with all your abilities because you need happiness to be creative. And these are the formulas in my mind to be in happiness. So doing what you love, what the world needs, what you can be paid for, and what you're good at. And this is one of the fundamentals that you need in order to be on the journey to create an impactful experience. So that's one, passion. Step two, compassion. Compassion is using design thinking to have sympathy for the activity. An example that I deal with constantly is what's stopping people from cycling. Is it that we're not inspiring people. Uh, what needs to happen for more people to ride? Is there a barrier or fear of cars? Is the equipment too expensive? Are we creating local communities and supporting them? Is the product range tackling all the issues that pros and beginners will face? This is what I get up for in the morning. This is fundamental to the problems that my team and I solve on a daily basis. So that's compassion. Three, culture. And when I say culture, I mean more than the attitudes and behaviors of a characteristics of a particular social group. Culture thrives on creativity, in my mind, and you have to differentiate yourself from others. And to celebrate the manifestations of the human achievement regarded to your passion. And this is the key to inspiring progress, innovation, and technology. Because only through that combined benchmark can you really know what you need to do to get over it, if that makes sense. Because in my mind, people are constantly innovating, moving forward, creating new activities, and setting a new benchmark for what the expectations are. And in order to create a true impact, you need to recognize that, well, I need to recognize that, and constantly deal and battle in a way that moves ideas forward. Number four, tribe. Support the tribe. So this comes down to our biology, really. So anthropologists have postulated for a long time now, that we are hardwired towards tribalism by its evolutionary advantages for safety, protection, shelter, community. But, <clears throat> sorry, the thing that is so important is sharing challenging experiences like traumas, hunting, cycling, because it creates endorphins in the body. And those endorphins go on to create camaraderie, a basic human emotion and need and a way to connect. The question to ask yourself is, as a designer, what am I doing to promote and create endorphins within my customer's journey? It's an ambitious task, but it's only through ambitious challenges that might seem preposterous that we can achieve and strive harder. 
because a lot of these goals and ideas, they're lofty. And maybe in a big organization, it might seem impossible. But it's pushing through that to really create an impact. Because we as individual freelancers or people that work at brands, we have a responsibility to the community to do something where it's more than just a product, to actually push them towards an experience that will help create ambition in them and push them towards their own individual possibilities. And if you could do some of that, you can get innovation. And innovative products are key to creating impactful experiences. And in my mind, there's two ways to innovate. So one, you're either creating a product that enhances an activity, or two, you're creating an activity that enhances a product, an activity that creates new problems for you to solve. So in the mid-2000s, before I joined Rafa, Rafa created the Continental. And the Continental was a group of serious road cyclists that were using their road bikes to ride all terrains. And this created a new activity that landed Rafa into a very unique situation to solve problems that it didn't anticipate. So I want to expose you guys to the Rafa Continental for those that don't know it.
when that new activity was created, it created a new experience. And that new experience led to new objects of desire, led to new interests, and the ability to actually want to progress forward. And all three of those things release dopamine. So new friends, new objects, and accomplishments, they're all primary needs for us to survive as humans. And it's one of the components that makes us all very happy and feel like we're accomplishing something in our lives. And so that reward system, that is dopamine, it's the primary function in preserving these natural instincts. And so like passing on your genes or building that community or acquiring new objects that enhance your survival, it's biologically enhanced and fused into us. So it's really important to remember that innovation isn't just creating something that's marginally different. It's something that's gonna make that dopamine release. And it's not about manipulating your biology. It's about saying, if your biology reacts to a product, that means that product is actually useful. It's gonna aid people in whatever problems that they're having. It's a real solution. And to me, if you could do those five things correctly, which is passion, identify compassion, focus on culture, really support the tribe and innovate, you get real impact. And I see it whenever I travel the globe because I see customers and they talk to me about how cycling has changed their lives. And a lot of them ask me what I'm most proud of. And it's hard to say which design I'm most proud of because I don't think it's the physical design, it's the philosophical. Because when we can inspire people to do their first 100 mile ride, it's that impact, that experience that lives with them forever that helps them achieve their possibilities and their ambitions. And that's something that truly transforms them that goes way beyond product. And that's the thing that I'm most proud of. Thank you. You guys have any questions? Any thoughts on the idea that design experiences are more important than any other element in design? I got, I got a quick one for you. When you're, I love the five principles. When you're doing reviews with your team, whether it's a product review or you're reviewing a, you know, a new video, do you use the five principles? Um, in your critiques as a team to talk about what you're trying to achieve? Like, oh, this video is gonna focus on tribe or culture, or, um, or is it more of a kind of like an unsaid underlying current that goes underneath everything you guys do? It has to, so it has to start with the product brief, right? So what I constantly challenge the designers is, when you're designing this, take a 100-foot view. How's this gonna show up in a photo or in a video? Uh, how is this going to connect to other people in the community? Is this going to be at a price point that's going to be so widespread and so obvious that it's not going to have the same meaning anymore because it'll be too obvious, too apparent, too integrated within the culture, overdone, overshot, overconsumed? And those five principles have to start with the brief process because that brief lives on to influence every other department. So the most important thing as a designer is to actually expand your mind beyond the product and really challenge yourself. Uh, my opinion is that a great designer can be a great art director, can be a great film director. A, a creative is a creative is a creative. 
And you have to have that ambition in you and that fire because at the end of the day, you don't want someone else figuring out what that message is gonna look like. You really need to write that copy yourself and then get some help to fine tune it if you're not a copywriter. But ultimately, the best creatives are the ones that can master all of those five principles. But that's just my opinion. That's just my two cents. Uh, that's intended to provoke a conversation within the design community. Casper, question? It seems like you, you use a lot of different media to express the experience you want your customers to have to communicate with them. Um, and the fact that that's changing so quickly right now, what are the new type of media that you're most excited about in terms of communicating your ideas? It's really interesting because I think our customers communicate the ideas better than we do. So we have a high production value, that's obvious. They have a low production value. But there's something about high pr production values to me that seem kind of corny for whatever reason. It just doesn't feel honest enough. I think when you have that human effect, when it comes from somebody's actual experience, it's amazing. So if you have a brand and you have a unique hashtag, just looking through that hashtag, you're seeing how people are experiencing the products that you're creating. And I think that narrative, that community really does come together. The best thing in order to encourage that is to actually create a platform for that community to be able to share. So whether that's a brand forum, or whether that's creating events on a weekly basis or global events, or a club, climbing club, cycling club, running club, kayaking club, whatever you're into, spacesuit club, um, but ultimately, it, it's all about happiness. And I think the content creation needs to help motivate people to be happier. Hello. So, so a lot of Rafa's storytelling seems to be very poetic. Um, seems very natural, authentic. My, question I guess has to do with how do you connect that with the product you know how do you bridge that gap are you scripting it are you I guess how choreographed is this storytelling it's funny we always get asked oh you know did those guys you know so the, the second video that was played there's a big backlash oh Rafa staged it those guys didn't really sleep in the hay and so what we do is we hire guys like George Marshall that actually ride and shoot. There's, you know, there's no cars involved in half the shoots. They're actually in the Alps on their own and they are sleeping on hay. And so it's not scripted, it's really trying to get the motion. And you know, it just goes back to that, that passion. That's how you put it on display when people are suffering. That traumatic experience of cycling is what binds people together. And you know, this is why cycling is such a polarizing sport because you have to suffer. And I think that's, you know, to answer your question, you don't have to script that. That just comes naturally. The question was, am I a cyclist or did I start riding when I started working at Rafa? Um, I rode a bike. I got into cycling back in 2010 before I worked at Rafa. And when you're in that space and you're wearing uh, Power Ranger costumes, uh, you quickly, at that point, you really realize the, the significance of a brand that was minimal and controlled and 
really just had the ability to persuade you to really keep pushing through that struggle of what cycling is. So I'm a cyclist now. Can you describe your briefing process when you were new season, new product, new idea? That's an interesting question, um, briefing process. So I'm fortunate enough that I've had product managers report into me. So that's, that's a great place to be as a designer. Um, briefing process usually starts with a problem. So you want to make sure that problem, or at least to me, I want to make sure that that problem isn't something that is a marginal different, uh, isn't marginally differentiated to anything else that's in the product range. So it has to start with something that is completely radically new. The issues when you have a problem that's radically new, it's how do you communicate that problem? And that's where you really start thinking about what kind of art direction, what kind of photography, you know, is it studio photography? Is it more of an endemic documentary style photography? Or is it a moving picture? Who are the right characters to actually display this problem and the solution? So it's almost like becoming a script writer for a theatrical play. And then you're also a costume designer. But on the flip side, we're a performance company. So we're making performance theater in a sense because that's the best way to build that community and inspire people to push beyond just buying a product, but to actually challenge themselves and try to realize their potential. So the briefing process is almost like storyboarding in a lot of ways. Question I, I have a question. Oh, we'll get two right after. Um, okay, now that made me forget my question. Uh, <laughs> how do you decide? Because it is, you know, Rafa's very, very minimalist look, um, very well designed. How do you guys decide what are going to be the next products? You know, the, the each briefing of, okay, what are we going to update or what are we going to do new? That's kind of a typical thing in most of the brands. And I know that that's not how you focus on product. Um, how do you guys decide what you're going to tackle next, change, put in the brief? Um, think about what pisses us off. What's, what's the shit that we hate? Um, and I live in England now, so, so good enough isn't, that's the mentality, so everything is shit, um, which, is, which is a great place to be as a designer, right? Because then everyone totally gets the design mindset that nothing is perfect, so you're constantly innovating. And for me, it's when you walk around performance days or when you're at the mill or when you're at the manufacturing show and you see a new machine and you start piecing these little tools together. So this fabric, oh, here's a new machine that could do that. You start seeing that this machinery or this fabrication can solve a problem that you're dealing with. And it's usually, it doesn't get decided there. It's when you're on the bike or you're running and you're in the zone, you're just zoned out, that these microns in your brain, these pathways start connecting. And so it's a very organic process, you know? Um, a lot of, a lot of Products in the range have been there for seven, eight years. You know, the life cycle management thing doesn't really kick in unless something is really shit. And so why reinvent, you know, five pocket jeans? Why reinvent uh, a pro team jacket? The, the, these things are 
classics in my mind. Hey, I was just wondering, how often do you encourage your design team to get out and ride? And I'm sure you, you probably ride to the office every day, but like, you're working on stuff. Are you ever kind of like, wait a minute, we haven't been on a multi-day trip in a while. Like, how much of an emphasis is that for you and your team, not just you, but your design team? Fundamental. If you don't do that, you're, in my mind, if you're a designer and you work at a brand and it's a, there's a certain activity attached to your job, you're not doing that activity passionately and on a daily basis, you're not gonna be great at it because you're not finding issues that are bothering you. Because if they're bothering you, they're probably bothering another million people. And so what we have is that we have Wednesdays kind of off, basically, or at least half day Wednesdays off. People make up the hours throughout the week, but everyone gets together on a Wednesday morning at 7 a.m. and rides till 1 p.m. Everyone comes into the office bonked out checks a few emails and uh, we have a few meetings and then the day goes on. Um, company rides, but ultimately you have to have people that are as passionate as you are because without that passion, you're just making product. Yeah, every Wednesday is, is almost mandatory. So yeah, it's Wednesday morning rides are mandatory. But at the same time, when we take empathy trips, so that happens twice a year, it, it's about riding with the locals, you know? And that's where you really experience the power of those five principles, is because you're interacting with people in Seoul, you're interacting with people in Australia, in the States, West Coast, East Coast, South America, Singapore. Um, you know, in these places, cycling is new, a lot of them, right? So in Asia, they don't have the history of it. So you are informing them and you start seeing different perspectives on what the sport is. And that's really interesting because that starts informing ideas and it just, it just creates a much richer product range because then all of a sudden you are catering towards people that are beginners, but they're serious. And so yeah, riding is everything. Uh, question from the back. Hi, right here. Hi. Um, Rafa has, through your design and, and through all this experience, become such a cool brand. And I'm curious, as you've kind of risen up as this sort of cool brand and kind of transcended core riders into maybe more lifestyle, people who want to sort of you know, buy into this lifestyle, do you worry about that sort of point at which uh, you become more of a lifestyle brand and sort of transcend that core? I mean, I think we all in the outdoor industry ride that sort of line between core and lifestyle, and it's always kind of a tricky balance. And I'm curious, as you become bigger and, and kind of have these sort of you know, retail environments that are very engrossing and sort of attracting people who are might not be cyclists, how you navigate that and with your growth? It's, a, it's an interesting question. Um, yeah, how do you not sell out? So for us, I guess it goes back to what is the ultimate strategy of the brand. And that is a very lofty strategy. I don't even know if it's ever been shared outside of the offices, but that is to make cycling the most popular sport in the world. 
And in America, you know, you look at that and you're like, that's never going to happen here. But it's possible in the UK and it's possible in other countries. Um, and for us, in order to achieve those kind of lofty goals, we have to build clubhouses. And those clubhouses are epicenters for watching racing, for communities to form, for people to go on rides, for beginners to get into riding, to clip in for the first time, for families to come on family-orientated rides. And so I don't worry about selling out, I worry about selling in. How can we get more people on bikes? How can we sell them in on the benefits of it? Because those that, you know, I, I grew up like most people in front of a TV, and it's not until you get into sports that you realize what your potential is. And to me, that's the bit that's really special and important. It's, you know, we're all so fortunate to be working for brands that do have a sports focus. And the way we can impact people's lives through those marketing budgets is incredible. Because if we can get people to feel like they're an athlete and start pushing their boundaries, then they'll apply those ethics to everything else in their life. And so that's our ambition. And if that means that someone sees the Rafa logo, they go on the website, they watch a film, they get inspired, they go on the forums, they meet community members, they buy a bike, they start riding with them, and they become indoctrinated, then I'm, I'm all for that. I'm all for being commercial. Hey, um, very inspiring talk, thank you. Uh, quick question. You mentioned a lot innovation, obviously. I would love to know how much of the stuff that you guys are doing you would actually describe as radical innovation versus incremental innovation? And what is the value of incremental innovation for Rafa? Yeah. It's, a, it's a really interesting question. Um, we are having that discussion yesterday with some of the Arteryx folks too. And my biggest frustration is that I haven't seen anything innovative in a long time, right? So machinery hasn't really, I mean look, Ashima Mach X2, that thing's been around for 12 years. And, and people are just starting to play with it, right? Membranes, EPTFE or Electrospun, more breathable, less breathable, it's all in the lab. Customers have no, have no uh, ability to really discern what the difference is in performance. For me, the only innovation that I'm seeing that is, from a customer perspective, might be radical, but I think from a jaded designer's <laughs> perspective, incremental. Are, are stretch wovens that have so much tenacity and such strength when it comes to Newtons that it actually creates a waterproof fabric until it is stretched. And that to me is really interesting. I think that's a disruptive new um, technology for high endurance sports because it stays completely waterproof when you're in the static position, but when you're aerobic and you move it around, that stretch of the fabric actually allows it to breathe. And there's not many examples out there, right? Because everyone has a marketing name for dry fit or H2NO, sorry. Uh, but you know what I mean, like, we're all going to performance days, or we're all going to ISPO, and we're buying from the same vendors. And to me, that innovation has to come from creating a new activity and then solving problems for that activity. Because, you know, realistically, we are all making amazing products, but we're all shopping at the same market. Um, I was wondering, do you have any advice for designers to create new product that's meaningful without the filter of sport? So, for example, you worked at Levi's, and a lot of people probably work on more of the sportswear arms of sport brands, um, where it's not for a specific end use. Uh, 
This is why I got a fashion. <laughs> um, so it's really, to be honest, I don't know. I really don't because there's one side of me that feels like when you can create a new style, a new silhouette, a new proportion, that's beauty and that's super relevant. But then on the other side, which is the way my mind works, is how can you quantify that? And so if you could achieve the balance between proportion and function, then I think that's the ultimate win-win. By proportion, you know, that is what fashion is, right? It's playing with proportions and commenting on the culture and the social environment of the time. So whether, um, you know, sports brands start adopting really weird trends like that Rick Owens drop crotch running tight, which people shouldn't, whether people start adopting more of the Isimiyaki, you know, um, Shimada Maka X2 stuff that he did 14 years ago. You know, there's definitely elements in fashion that still have a really strong performance credential. And I think those need to be interlinked. You got me. <laughs> oh, I was just gonna ask the story behind the color selection at uh, Rafa and the hot pink. It's been pretty iconic. Yeah, um, I, you know, I think hot pink is such a disruptive high-vis color because you're used to seeing oranges and yellows and greens. And it just goes back to one of the key principles, which is try to differentiate because you have to create a culture. And if you're not differentiating, then it's not your own culture. So that applies to color as well. And um, it's not actually EN hot pink. It's something that we found on a sample, a vintage sample that is a couple of shades off. So it's still, it's, it's not on the Pantone card. And you know what, and a lot of our colors don't come from Pantone. It's literally looking at vintage garments or something that has a story behind it and chopping it up and then sending out for lab dips. And we eventually run out of that donor sample and have to figure out how to reproduce that color ourselves. Yes. Hi, thanks for the talk. Um, can you talk a little bit about how your own failure has shaped, I'm not suggesting you're a failure, you're obviously not, <laughs> but in your creative endeavors, there were yeah, things yeah. that you've done that haven't gone to market and have failed in some shape or form, right? So could you talk a, a little bit about yeah. how those have shaped your experience? Yeah, um, I'll, I'll tell you a story. Um, so I didn't go to school for design. I went to school for finance. but. My mother was a designer. My grandfather had a factory. My dad worked at Adobe, so I grew up with Illustrator and Photoshop. Um, so I felt like, hey, I could be a designer with, and, and get a, something to fall back on. I hated finance. My, my brain just doesn't work that way. Um, and so in college, I made a hoodie because I couldn't afford to really buy the clothes that I wanted. And I started wearing that hoodie. And people started saying, oh, where'd you get that? Where'd you get that from? And I got really confident and started making more of those hoodies. And I started going to stores to push it. And on the way to some of those stores, I started meeting people that would put me in touch with either magazines or they were styling a video shoot. So the brand grew pretty quickly. It got into a lot of media. It got onto quite a few celebs and it went from zero to nothing in about 10 weeks. 
And the thing that was beautiful about it was the beginning. And that, that was the success of it. I'll get to the failure. But in the beginning, we didn't have to worry about scale. And we made everything in San Francisco with fabrics that I hand-selected and you know, limited runs because I was buying bolts with only 20 meters, 30 meters. It was the perfect size company, and I was doing what I loved. I was working with people that inspired me. I was working with Kanye West, who at that time, his music was just poetic and it was heroic to me. And I was meeting all these people that, in my mind, created motivational music, so to speak. But as the business grew, I had to scale it. And I started producing in Asia. And I didn't really know how to create a tech pack, but I created a tech pack. I didn't really know how to get products on time. I didn't know how to launch products. And I failed miserably. The, the, the brand went from being this beautiful thing that had its kind of 15 minutes of fame to customers just feeling so disappointed by the fact that I scaled it and the quality fell and the service fell and that one-to-one -one interaction didn't exist anymore. So that first brand that I had for about five years, that was my biggest failure and my biggest lesson is don't fuck up. <laughs> don't cut corners. Have compassion for your community. Celebrate the culture. Exemplify your passion, live by your passion and really innovate. And I didn't really do any of those things. Thank you. Cool. Thanks, guys.